Welcome back to the Thadjication Podcast. If you haven't been here before, thank you for tuning in. The podcast is my attempt to help you as a creative freelancer get the knowledge you need and give you the confidence you need to take steps that you're going to be able to move forward in building a dream freelance career. So if you're curious about getting into freelancing or perhaps you kind of have done a bit but you want to make it the thing you do full time, hopefully my advice can help you. Um, Over the last few episodes I've talked about things you could be doing in order to kind of kickstart your freelance career and the goal of um, the podcast here really, and this is a kind of personal thing, but Firstly, the first is I want to try and help give you advice that isn't overwhelming um, and that is going to help build your confidence so that you're prepared to kind of take action. And the reason I mention this is because as a kind of recovering, I'm not even recovering, I'm still an information hoarding addict. But what I found is I got stuck in this loop of buying courses that I never finished. And the reason being is... um, I enjoyed hoarding the information, thinking I would do something with it later, and I never did. And actually, after a while, that becomes almost not destructive, but frustrating because you know a lot of stuff. But actually, like we all know, until we test it and we try it out in the real world, we don't know if it will work. And we're actually just parroting the ideas of someone else. And that's ultimately pretty unsatisfactory. So the goal of this podcast is, um, I, look, I, I'll give you an example. I came across a tweet thread the other day, which was um, really good. And it was all about how to get your first client uh, as a freelancer. And you're thinking, oh, brilliant. This will be full of useful advice. I'll have a read of this. Um, but when it, I read it, I think it had around 50 to 60 steps on it. And those steps were really solid. They're they're, they're absolutely the things you should be doing. And they're the things that convention would tell you is like, if you do this, you'll be successful. But I did also feel that this is very typical of a lot of sort of savable content on on the internet, which is uh, information dense like threads or carousels that have the the call to action save for later. I don't know about you, but I've never revisited anything I've saved on Instagram. I mean, I might have one or two things, but generally I tend not to bother. I don't know what I'm saving it for, uh, but I can't help but save it. But the reality is, one, I don't revisit it. And if I do, and it's that kind of um, content, I find actually the number of steps to be paralyzing because it's so overwhelming not knowing where to start and realizing that, oh, there's 50 steps to get through here. But if I did all 50, this could take up to 18 months. Um, so it, it, it's actually, it defeats the purpose of it being created, which is to help you. It just overwhelms you, overloads you. And um, and like anyone creative, you know, when we get overwhelmed and overloaded, we kind of fall back into bad habits and doing what feels safe and familiar. And, you know, probably just going back to doing work or procrastinating or, you know, going for looking for more information to hoard. I don't want this podcast to be like that because I've, I've seen so much of that content created and it drove me mad. So the goal of the podcast really is a couple of things. Firstly, it's to give you sort of small, actionable advice that's worked for me that I've learned through failure. And the truth is that you're going to have to fail too to really learn because it's if we get success through others, it doesn't feel quite as good as overcoming it ourselves. And actually, it's in the overcoming it is how we learn how to deal with it so that if we have problems in the future, we can then recall that information and solve them. 
And again, this is something which I'd overlooked completely when it came to online courses and that sort of temptation to go, look, just give me the, the list of steps of what to do so I can replicate your success. That is like a recipe. And as we all know, well, like, look at me, I can follow a recipe and I can fool you into thinking I'm a cook. But if you take the recipe away from me, I'm completely stumped. And the problem is that I don't know how to change the dish because I've only got the recipe to refer back to. Whereas if I learned to cook that dish from scratch with someone and there was an element of like, I'm going to cook it this way and see what that tastes like. And then I'm going to cook it again and adjust this and change that. And then I can see a correlation between, oh, if I change that ingredient or I cook that for a little bit longer, it affects the flavor. I'm the whole time um, developing a, a level of information and context around how to adapt. And soon I don't even need the recipe because I just know how to cook. And that is exactly like my wife. I can cook spaghetti, um, the sauce, not just the pasta, and um, she will fix it. And somehow I can spend hours doing this and then she'll come in in 10 minutes and without being offensive, she's like the rat in Ratatouille. She will taste it, go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, you didn't do this, okay. And she'll just some do something. Again, I don't understand what she's doing, but all I do know is that it tastes, I would say, five times better than what I produced, which, although is a little bit mortifying, isn't all bad because I get to eat a much better version of what I wanted to eat in the first place. That is kind of where I'm getting to with this. Is like with the whole online education and course thing, um, that was the bit I failed to understand. So I don't want to contribute to that by giving you too many difficult kind of tips and hacks and sort of blueprints and swipe files and all that stuff we see because it's not helpful because what's more beneficial to you is if I give you the belief that you can have a go and I try and give you the confidence to want to have a go and then when you actually have a go, um, it doesn't destroy your, your belief and your confidence and you're like, okay, didn't go as a plan, but it wasn't too bad. I'm going to have another go. If we can get you to that stage, I'm thrilled because a lot of what you're going to need to do is actually overcoming the resistance of having to go again. But once we get comfortable with that, um, we're fine with it. And as babies, um, I would argue, how did you end up talking and walking? Well, you overcame the uncomfortableness of falling over a lot and trying a lot. And actually, it worked out fine because let's face it, as humans, that's how we learn we take a long time. We learn very, very slowly and we learn much faster through failure. So my goal is to give you stuff that's going to go, do you know, what? I'll give it a go, see how it works. And then, um, do you know what? That was cool. I might try another thing he suggests. And it's all baby steps. So first of all, that's my kind of rant out of the way. I also, again, recently I've stumbled on this thing, which I'm interested in, which is creativity versus convention. Um, depending on when you're listening to this, but AI is on the rise and chat GPT-4 is out and it's only going to get more prevalent. And the more people that use AI to do work, particularly in the creative field, um, because the results are generally aggregated on the responses of whatever, you know, it's searching the internet, isn't it? So um, I find that chat GPT is, is very efficient uh, and it gives brilliant answers, but these are conventional answers. And what I'm interested in is challenging convention with creativity to find a way of getting the same result, but having a lot more fun doing it. So an example I would give you would be if you want to get a job. Yeah, the conventional answer is you polish up your CV, you apply for jobs, you go for interviews, you go through rounds of interviews to get selected. If you're doing well, eventually you kind of get to the final stage of an interview. And after probably six months, maybe longer 
of trial and error and interviews and CV polishing, you eventually get a job, which is fine. That's the way to do it. It's, you know, polish up your resume, get a suit, turn up on time, do your research, blah, blah, blah. We know how to get a job. The creative answer would be, why do I have to sit through all the interviews? Why can't I bypass everything and go to the company I want to work for, find the decision maker and say, if you were to hire someone like me, what qualities would you want in someone like me to make me worth hiring? They'll tell you and you go, okay, so if I acquire those qualities and those skills um, and I come back and see you, will you give me maybe like a trial job, like as in like a sort of... uh, not a, a sort of placement or whatever, but would you, if I prove to me good enough, will you give me a shot? Maybe like I'll work for you for a month for free. And then at the end of the month, we can discuss maybe giving me a job or something like that. Most people go, yeah, okay, get the skills, come back. And if you think you're good enough, we'll give you a shot. It's not radically different, but in one scenario, you're kind of going through the hoops that, of convention. In the other scenario, you're bypassing convention just to get the answers you need. And for me, someone who um, has been working in advertising for years, I'm familiar with this creative approach. And so with all everything I'm going to be doing from this point on, I want to have that element to it. And I want you to kind of be brave enough to go, what's the shortcut here? And what is the shortcut as in not to like the hack that's going to sort of save me time and money, but what's perhaps a more direct and efficient way to go after the person I want who could, is in a position to give me my dream job, for example. Um, how can I blow them away so that they're desperate to hire me? An example would be this, and I was talking to my friend Ben Akers, a uh, long-standing friend from advertising, who, when we were getting our start in advertising, was uh, amazing. Him and Nadine, his partner, were so generous with their time, um, and that's rare to find, especially when you're kind of learning your trade and building a portfolio. Anyway, Ben, who um, he was saying that when he was trying to get a job, he tried these types of things to try and work out ways to make a good impression. Um, And this is quite common. You know, if you're trying to get a job in advertising, your goal is to impress the creative director with your creativity um, to show, look, you should be hiring us because we're, we're creative and we're a bit crazy. So the first route he tried was like, okay, how can I get meetings with influential people? Um, And the first thing they kind of did was like, well, what if we buy flowers for all the PAs of all the people we want to meet? And that worked. By buying the flowers of the PA, the PA is going to make time in the diary of the person you want to meet, and you're in. So that was a very successful kind of approach. We were like, instead of polishing our portfolio, showing it to the people lower down, finally getting it selected, and finally waiting in line to be seen by the busy creative director, we're just going to go to the gatekeeper, um, show them some attention, show them that we value them and ask a favour. That worked fairly well as getting sort of um, in scene of the right people, but it didn't always result in kind of the jobs and everything that he wanted. So he was like, okay, we need to work on a portfolio. Of course, you've got to have fairly good work, but what's another way we can actually be more creative in our response to make a brilliant impression that almost surpasses our portfolio of work? So what they did was they took, uh, they got like a little box and imagine, you know, you get snooker chalk. It's a, like a small cardboard box, about an inch square. And inside it, they put a bit of cotton wool and some red ink and a plastic eyeball. And they sent four of these eyeballs to the four 
places. They wanted to work to the four big bosses. And what it said was when they opened the box and there was an eyeball inside, the message said, so this is what your office looks like. Would you mind if I brought the rest of my body to see you for a meeting? Now, out of that kind of response, they got four meetings. So four out of four hit rate. And on one of them, they got offered a job. And the guy who offered them a job said, look, I've been in this industry for decades and I've never seen anything like this. And to be honest, I want people working for me who are going to cause this kind of friction. And that was how they got landed their first job. Well, maybe it's not their first, but I know they got a job there. And that was the whole outcome, wasn't it? You know, So there is this one way, the portfolio submitting the interviews, and then there's just bypassing the whole system with creativity. And I'm a big believer in that. I've done that multiple times to win work. And I want to factor that into how I'm going to be talking about stuff moving forward. So this is what I'm going to be discussing. I will be mentioning it and I will be expanding on it in future episodes. But I wanted to kind of outline that now because I, I truly believe that when you're working on a project that is creative and is a little bit risky and a little bit unusual, it feels fun. You know, it's got that kind of heist type prison breakout feel where like this is a little secret thing that I'm working on that I'm excited about that could result in my dream outcome and nobody else knows about it so this is what I want to focus on um, there'll be plenty more opportunity to talk about that so I wanted to get that out of the way bit of a ranty opening but on to the theme of this week's episode which is going to be handling client requests particularly sort of difficult ones when they're pushing you for answers. As a theme, I've been working on um, when you're first starting out in freelancing, um, how to get yourself set up and what to do. And I've talked about how to go and talk to people and understand what goes into invoices and contracts and building your network and, and all those kind of things. And you can listen back to previous episodes to kind of understand what I'm thinking about. But what I would love for you to kind of consider here and this is a common problem that is brought up numerous times and people ask me how to do with it is how do you deal with requests from clients who are being a little bit pushy now the reason i brought this up kind of today was um this is going to be one of the trickiest things to handle when you first start freelancing or just generally at any time when you're freelancing because typically you know we're really happy to get the work and Early on, especially, or most times, there's going to be, it's fairly consistent that we're going to need work. And it's much easier to say yes to a client who is bringing work to us rather than thinking, actually, I should probably go out to the people I want to work with. So when a client does come to you um, and, you know, they offer you a job or they want a favor or this or that, you know, they need something which is a little bit beyond what you would expect or beyond the norm, such as, you know, can you work on the weekend to do this? it's very, very difficult to turn that down. And this does come down to the theme of establishing boundaries. And that, that will be a topic for another episode because that's quite a big deal. But I wanted to briefly cover it in this episode about how to deal with these typical requests because I feel that's going to be useful. Um, and I'm going to say, look, I haven't fully mastered this. As in, I still will cave to certain clients if they want me to do them um, work outside of like at the weekend or evenings. <clears throat> so I'm not coming at this from like, I'm an expert, I know what to do. But I certainly can say that it feels good to say no 
when the client's request doesn't align with how you feel. And um, like anything, when people try and take advantage of our kind of generosity, it's like that old phrase, isn't it? They mistake kindness for weakness and they think that they can get away with taking advantage. And as you know, in any other business, if you try and ask for favours or, you know, you want freebies or upgrades and all this stuff, most places don't really go for that. And they're like, I wouldn't dream of asking, let alone, you know, allowing it to happen. And we kind of have to remember that if... Um, we allow this to happen the client will continually try and do this to us again and again and again so I wanted to bring this up now the first thing I would say before we get into the specifics of how to handle certain um, naughty requests shall we say is the greatest way to say no is having money set aside so that you're not desperate and you can say no to the work so even if um, it's a client that you love and they're really nice normally and they're kind of pushing you for say oh you know could you quickly fit this in I know you're busy but you know can you push us to the front of the queue and you don't want to but like oh but they're a good client and when you have enough money to say no so like if you don't take on the work it doesn't matter that's immensely liberating and where I have experienced this was a few years ago, I was approached by J.J. Watt, who's an NFL superstar, um, phenomenal guy. And I mean, I love the NFL. Um, I'm not a massive advocate. I've just watched it sort of from the UK and enjoying the side of the... I've always loved the kind of graphics and the, and the, the glamour of the NFL. But anyway, when I was approached by J.J. to kind of rebrand his um, charity, his foundation and build a new website... I was able to say yes to him because I had capacity, because I'd said no to other people. And this is the big thing about saying no. It's you're, you're saying no so that you can say yes to a great person. So if, if that does arise and you do get a dream client knock on your door, it's, it's mortifying if you're overly loaded and you can't say yes. You'd love to, but you're booked up sort of thing. So the way we avoid that um, is to make sure that we always have space and capacity for when a great client comes along and the only way you create space is to say no and the only way you can say no with any confidence is when you've got enough money saved or set aside that you don't need what they're offering so that's the underlying thing here is it's very easy to say no when you don't need what they're offering to you and that's why um and we'll cover this as in future episodes but that's why kind of establishing a way of working that allows clients to kind of be scheduled up to work with you is really good for your mental health. So, so that's the key to sort of saying no. Um, and in these situations, you'll have to say no. But I wanted to give you a realistic answer because it, it, it's too simple just to go, nope, just turn them down. It The world is not black and white like that. Sometimes you might want the money. Sometimes you think, well, look, I'm not up to much this weekend. I can do it. And you're always kind of, factoring in what it could lead to so that's the other thing is don't don't over anticipate or overly project kind of what this could lead to because again that is like a sort of opposite of anxiety this overly optimistic slightly naive outlook of like yeah but it could lead to loads of cool stuff again that you're imagining a fantasy that probably won't happen so that's the other thing don't be too keen to say yes because you've talked yourself into justifying it so the the, the biggest kind of uh, client questions that you will get asked that will challenge 
your boundaries are probably going to fall into one of these categories. Um, the first one is going to be, can I jump the queue? As in, can you fit me in uh, so that I can kind of, it's just a quick job, you know, uh, just quickly do it and then I'll be gone and please do us a favour. That kind of thing of like, oh, I'm sure you could do it. Come on, we're all friends, we go back. It, it's that thing of they want to basically jump the queue. So here the, the, the two ways to handle it is um, you if you don't want to do it, you can just say, I'm really sorry, I can't do that. Um, out of respect to my current clients, um, I'm not going to allow people to jump the queue in the same way that if you had queued to work with me, I'm sure you wouldn't appreciate it if I just let someone jump over you because they were a smooth talker or they kind of pressured me into it. And most often, if you put it in those terms and you reflect it back at them, they will understand. Now, once you've established like why you can't do that, the next part of this equation is finding a way to to then find a compromise where you say yes. Now, again, you, you might have to use your imagination for this one, because especially if you work on your own. But what you want to say is, and this might be a similar answer to a lot of it, but it's kind of, I could do it, but I would need more money than usual. Okay, so that's the thing. So you can say yes to this, but it's important that you charge higher than you would because you're doing them a favor. And like any service, let's look at delivery. Yeah, If you want the delivery to come next day, it costs more than if you want it to come next week. That's just the way it is, and we all are comfortable with that. So they are not going to be alien to the idea of paying more for a quicker service. When they question why is it going to cost more when it's just you doing it, this is where you can have a little bit of fiction where you've got to go, well, if you want me to take on your job, I will have to hire someone and bring someone in to cover the work I'm currently doing for my existing clients. So that's why you're going to have to pay my fee to do the work as the person doing it, plus the fee of the person coming in. So that's why it's going to be double the normal rate because that's what I'm going to have to do. So let's say fictitious numbers, I'm 350 a day, yeah? So you go, well, it's going to take me two days to do this. So the fee is 750. But actually, the real fee is 1,400 because I've got to hire another person at 350 to cover me. And then that way you can go back to them with a legitimate kind of answer and a reason so as in you can stand your ground and say look I can't let you do that but what I can do is kind of bring in someone to help cover that now you've put the offer and the kind of proposition back to them if they're prepared to pay double to get it done quicker then everyone is fairly happy with that scenario and you've not really lost your respect in doing that so it's one of those ones that um, I don't I know that you probably could work really hard to fit it in, but that's kind of not the point. You want to have the freedom to go, okay, I know who I'm going to bring in to do this. I know how much they're going to charge me. So that's what I'm going to do. And you imagine that scenario playing out and you price accordingly. And then it's over to them. If they feel comfortable with that, then you can do it by all means. And and now you get to get paid um, and do the work and nobody's kind of upset because all your existing clients are getting serviced as normal. So that for me is how you would handle that kind of objection without it getting kind of awkward or embarrassing or difficult. Now, 
This is the same kind of thing if the client wants you to work a weekend or they want you to work late. There has to be a, a clear boundary between when you're available at regular office hours, say nine to five, uh, and when you're not available, so it costs more. And the way to do this is to is I would say it's double what you'd normally be charging just as for easy maths. So you go, well, if I want to, then you have the, again, you have the choice if you can choose to work outside of your regular hours, but at least this way you're getting paid for your time. And the reason it's double as I just stayed, started is because you might have to bring in other people to help you get it done on time and they're going to want money as well. So again, if someone comes to you and say, I need this job doing, but you're going to have to work the weekend, you explain that it will be double the fee. Same as I want this job doing are outside of your normal office hours, yeah, well, it's double the fee. You you might find, as to, as a deterrent, if you really hate doing this, you can triple the fee. So, it, you know, you might, or even quadruple it. Why not go mental? Go, well, normally it's £500 a day, but it's 2000 at weekends. And they'll be like, oh, God. But I tell you what, you work a weekend and you get four grand for, you know, two days work, you might go, well, that's brilliant. That's the same as I get paid all week. So I'm kind of happy with that. So it's this thing of... Um, this is how you would manage that that situation. So generally, um, and the way, again, the, the clear thing here is to not make it feel arbitrary like you've just come up with it. So we need some sort of place that it's written down where we can t- let clients know. And this will be in your contract. So you make it clear in the contract when you're available to work and then what the fees are for any times where you're working outside of those hours. And then that makes it clear because you can go, well, I can do the job, but this is my outside of hours rates so it's up to you you either stump up the cash or you wait till next week and we carry on working as normal Um, but the key thing is once you've put that in your contract and probably maybe in your email or you've basically made it clear that these are your rates they give you the thing to go back to so that they can't sort of negotiate you down you know because a lot of them will be like ah can you do us a deal can you do us something else and you've got to go no no I'm afraid those are my terms Now, this brings us into the other kind of main thing that clients like to go for us with, which is, can I have a deal or can I have a discount? Now, I know from experience that it's really tempting. Um, And I know on both sides of like discounting can be very, very costly. And and I learned that particularly um, in the restaurant industry where margins are tiny, but particularly um, in the hotel industry, we are giving like oh ten percent to get a room. The the reality is, if you do the maths, um, for I think it's like if you give a ten percent discount, you have to then sell a certain number of services at full price to cover that ten percent. I think it's um, hold on, let me check. Yeah, so I, sorry, I just checked there, and it, and it is yeah ten percent discount means you have to make 50% more sales in order to recoup that profit. So it it, it sounds a bit mental. Um, but anyway, I, and there is, like I said, I'll get into this in more depth because I don't think it really works very well uh, over an audio setup for me to explain something quite, it's not really complex, but it's quite dry to be fair. But anyway, if you discount by 10%, you've basically got a, there's lots of sales you have to make up at full price just to cover that little discount. So we don't really want to be discounting because it can, it can really affect our profit. Now, I also know that sometimes um, it's very hard to say no and we want the work and you're like, 
you know, I'd rather give a little discount and get the work and then not. So this is kind of um, how you're going to deal with it. So the first thing would be uh, the danger of this. And I learned this, I mean, in life anyway, but I certainly learned it. Um, it was clarified to me by Blair Ends and his pricing sort of content. And it was this thing of, I'd been doing like, you do, I was doing work for a client. I was doing presentations and like designing keynotes for them. And my rate had stayed fairly similar. Uh, and I remember there was this thing of like, I got a bigger job. So let's say I think my, my day rate was around 350 a day to do it. I'd put it up to 500. They had a new job for me and they were like, it's a bigger job. Could you do us a deal? Because it's like, I know you're doing more time, but it's going to be worth more money. So I kind of go, well, look up. I can do it for my old day rate for you. And they were like, brilliant, that's great. But once I'd done that, and once I'd overcome that hurdle of putting my prices up, and then I'd slip back to my old price, they assumed that that was it. And it became this kind of um, awkward conversation of like having to remind them, no, no, I, I charge more. And then them going, oh, we didn't realize. Oh, okay. Um, all right, well, we'll have a... Th and I was like, oh, no, no, I don't want to lose the job. So I was like, look... Uh, the point being is I wanted, I was too weak to say, okay, if that's my new rate, come back to me if you want to work with me. Again, probably not enough clients queued up, probably not from enough money saved, all these kind of things. Um, the, the thing being here is if you do discount, that's up to you. I wouldn't go mental. Instead of discounting, the rule should be you reduce the scope of what you offer just as a, as a, as a blanket rule. So, if again, if we look at restaurants, if someone says, oh, I've only got 50 quid to spend, you don't go, well, how about we, you you can order something a bit more and I'll just knock a bit off. They just go choose less or go somewhere cheaper. And, and we need to take the same approach. If that's their budget, then you can, instead of giving them a deal, you can go, well, look, I can do it for cheaper if I just do less. So if you're going to pay me, so I say, well, it's 10 grand for a 10 power, a 10 page website. Yeah easy maths and they go well our budget's sort of eight you go that's cool i'll just do an eight page website yeah and then everyone's kind of that's the way of compromising it without losing your kind of soul and respect but either way let's say imagine you do a discounted rate you give say 10 percent off they're very happy they sign everything up the key thing here is to on the invoice to highlight this is a one-off discounted rate and you have your old rate crossed out with the new discounted rate on the sort of what however you charge and then the total the same again and the reason being is when they come back to you and go oh but you did it for cheaper last time this is where you want to go yeah but if you look at the invoice and i've just sent it back to you for clarity you'll see this was a one-off rate and my usual rate is also listed on there it's the price that's crossed out so i'm afraid that was a one-off discount i won't be doing that again now, this is the thing of, again, you because you're standing your ground and they're probably, we've all had it, haven't we? Where we're kind of going, is that your best price? Is that your best offer on eBay or whatever? Once they realize, okay, we can't really screw him or her down anymore, then they're going to come back to you and pay properly or they're not. But either way, at least you've established yourself. So those are kind of two little objections um, and how to handle them, which I thought was helpful i wish i'd known that in the beginning i learned it the hard way through discounting too much and then doing the accounts at the end of the year and wondering why am i not as profitable so this is 
this happens to all of us and it's a bit of a nightmare but what i would say is if you can kind of get your head around that um, then it will make a huge difference and so i guess the task that i would uh, recommend you try this week would be um, writing down in a contract so that your clients are aware what your out of hours rates are so what your rate is for a rush fee which is to do it quicker what your rate is for doing work out of hours um, and then how much are you prepared to so again probably that that's going to be it that's enough i don't the other thing is easy which is just I'll, I'll reduce the scope to match the price that's fine but the big thing is let's start signaling to clients what our out of hours and rush fees are so that if they contact us we've got something which we've already established and it's been out there for long enough so i would say like put that in your contract um i would also put it in your email just so they're clear that um if you want work outside these hours or you want to rush work here are our fees and even if you did like a little table like a little pdf that you sent them as an attachment then i think what we're doing there is we're producing a document that anchors a conversation that that's weighted in our favor and when it's been presented and accepted and understood and acknowledged it not only limits those kind of nasty requests but it also means that well they kind of already know what i'm going to say here which means saying no or pushing back is much easier as always if you found this helpful please share it with someone who also would would appreciate it and please send me your questions um i always say this but I want to be tackling topics that really help you and um, I am useless at trying to guess. I've made that mistake in the past. So the key for me is if you found it valuable, please you know, review it, please share it, please rate it. That would mean the world to me. Um, and please send me your questions. Uh, if you, get, you can email me, thad at thadducation.com. You can follow me on Instagram um, and you can join the community or visit the website. There's loads of ways to get in touch. There's loads of ways to help. And as always, thank you for listening. Have a great day. Have a great week.